touch us, minister to our hearts. I want to be preached to. There's something inside of me that says, God, I have to have you. It's not optional. It's not something that I can, I'll check the box this time and this week, but I promise you, every day, I need God. I can't do my daily functions, and it just becomes a routine of checking the box, of going to work and coming home. But I must have God in my life to give me substance. To where when I walk in the office and I'm sitting down with people around me, there's something that is just different. But if you're just checking the box, going through the motions, we all need God. I want God to talk to us today. I want God to minister to each and every one of us. More importantly, I want God to anoint Pastor Riggin as he preaches this morning and today. I want God to anoint wherever the word is being spoken today. And I want us to pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for you, God. Being able to reach down and touch us in song and worship and praise to you, God. But more importantly, God, we need you today, God. Minister to each and every one of us. Talk to us, God. Talk to my heart. I want you, God, to speak to my heart today. Minister to me, God. Give me something that takes me from day to day, God. Substance, God, down inside of each and every one of us. God, you see the needs in this house today. Speak to them, God. Allow your word to minister to them. It don't have to be profound, God, but something that says you exist and you are real, God. We need you today, God. Minister to each and every one of us. Touch the children's church below us, God. Fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. Change your life today, God. We ask you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us that is saved, it is the power of God. In John 1 and 1, we go through the familiar scriptures where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The significance of a word. The significance of a word. Words without proper definitions are just useless babble. It is not the word itself that carries the power, but rather the meaning behind the word. God conveyed himself through the word, Jesus Christ, the Logos. We find that in John 1 and 1, it speaks to us. It means the essence, the meaning, the power of statement. It is not so much that we are preaching about the cross, per se. The message we bring is the meaning of the cross. The definition of of what happened on the cross. We preach the Logos of the cross. The meaning, the essence. Now we can say and we can describe things to each and every one of us in our lives, but as we begin to invite people to church and talk to them about new life, we begin to understand what it means and the impact that you can have on the community. And people say, oh, I remember that church. It's off of this exit and over on the right, and it looks like this. That's just preaching and talking about new life. But more importantly, we need to preach what is the message that happens inside, the characteristics The changes, what is the power of being a part of New Life Pentecostal Church. Of hearing the Word of God preached and absorbing it into us and saying this is what I mean. We are preaching of New Life. We are preaching the Word and carrying it out as evangelists, each and every one of us outside the doors of this assembly. We give the meaning to Acts 2.38. Without the cross, Acts 2.38 is just a scripture. It doesn't have meaning behind it. But the cross places meaning behind Acts 2.38. Otherwise, we just read a scripture. 
It would just be like the lineage. We'd just be reading through and whosoever begat whosoever and go through it. It would just be words. But the power of the cross gives it meaning. The significance of the cross is manifold. It signifies the holiness of the one who suffered there. It also signifies the vileness of sin for which he suffered. If you haven't convinced yourself yet that you are full of sin, you are fooling yourself. Because each and every one of us are full of imperfections. None of us are perfect. Each and every one of us need the Word. We all need a pastor. We all need the Word of God being preached to us. None of us can sit there and say, uh, you know what, it just doesn't apply to me. But I promise you the Word of God applies in everybody's life. No one is exempt. You can't grab your IRS form and say, well, I have this many family members, and so I can actually go here and put tax-exempt. And I promise you, your sin has put you in a position that you must have a God. More importantly about Calvary, it's so interesting talking about the cross. When you look at it, 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 it just seems like, oh, well, I see them on automobiles. I see people wear them around their neck. Uh, you see tattoos and you see uh, symbols on buildings and, uh, and you go through history and you see it through the works of art. But it's just simply a cross. Nothing is symbolized at this on the back of my automobile. That, that cross just said, hey, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm just, I'm just a Christian. I, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, hey, listen, I'm not an ordinary sinner, but I'm saying that I've been filled with His Spirit. And, and people wear the cross about their neck and... And they put it on buildings. And you know, it's, it's interesting, until you know the meaning of the cross, it's just an object. But when you understand Calvary is a love letter to each and every one of us, can you name anybody in your life that has walked up to you and said, Douglas, you got this problem, and I'm going to kill myself for that problem. I'm going to lay aside myself. I'm going to sacrifice myself for your problem. Nobody, as much as everybody loves me, and as much as, you know, we can say we have freedom here in the United States and, and people die for us, yes, we, we are happy for our independence and we appreciate their sacrifice, but not one of those soldiers took my sins to the grave with them. Family members I had passed away through wars in the past, and, and I promise you I love each and every one of them, and I look at their tombstones, and I, and I thank them for the opportunity they gave me so I can preach a message, so I can read a Bible, but I promise you none of them bore their sins on their back. They've only done it for my freedom. And sometimes we get more patriotic about them than we do about Jesus. Calvary just becomes a timber that's stuck in the ground with a piece of wood across it. But that's just talking about the cross. Let's talk of the cross. Let's talk about a place of repentance. Let's talk about the altar. Let's talk about when your sins were washed away. If it wasn't for the cross, baptism would just be a bath. But I thank God for what I feel whenever the minister reaches down and grabs me and says, I baptize you in Jesus' name. It's not in Muhammad, it's not in Buddha, but it's the one who sacrificed himself for all my sins. Sins that a memory and the devil tries to pull up out of the grave and say, here, we put it back up in here to view. And I can say, it's under the blood, devil. You can do nothing with it. Get your filthy, stinking hands off of it. The power of the cross. 
you've been put on your body, and it's become very popular. And I work with men that are, you know, just people that you would never expect to be a Christian. And they walk in and say, hey, look at my, look at my tattoo. I put a cross on my arm. It means absolutely nothing. It's not keeping them from cussing. It's not keeping them from their addictions. It's not keeping them from the lifestyle that is not pleasing to God. It's just a symbol. But be impacted by the power of God. Calvary was never meant to be an option. As much as we say, God, I just wish that Adam and Eve had done what they were supposed to do. I wish that had just Listen, Where would we be today? The Bible debunks that by saying he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There's nothing we can do in our humanity to take back what has been done in the past. All we can do is take advantage of something available to us now and prepare for the future. All we can do is say, God, this is my testimony. Thank you for saving me. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15 says, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which were called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For for where a a testament is, there must also a necessity be the death of the testator. There is no other hope of saving man but by the sacrifice of the cross of Calvary. John described Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The cross stands of testimony to the love of God. And and people want to take us to scriptures such as John 3.16. That scripture is more important to us as an apostolic than it is for anybody else. That says just accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There is no other hope. Sacrifice. We like to say, oh, well, I give, and I, I gave of myself, and, and I helped in this area, in the ministry, and church, and those around me. And I promise you our, our version of sacrifice is dulled down. It fails to bring into focus the true loss that happens through sacrifice. Our day and age of sacrifice consists of doing with less than comfortable. Where I feel just a just a pinch of pain, where it's just a little different than what I'm used to. Sacrifice. The problem with our view of sacrifice is when we do it, we expect a resurrection in the end. We expect, oh, I'm going to get back something. I, what I'm going to give away, but God's going to repay it. But I promise you. The true heartbeat behind sacrifice is you give with nothing expected in return. That's true sacrifice. Fasting is not, oh, I'm going to fast for six days, but on that end of that sixth day, I'm going to have an amazing meal. No, it's God. In these six days, change me. Whatever I am at the end of those days, It's what you want me to be, not what I want to revert back to. It's not what I can change myself back to and and go back to the daily routine of going through the motions. But I promise you, God wants sacrifice that hurts. We read through the Bible where people sacrifice their children. God says, hey, I want you to take him up there on the mountain and sacrifice him. I promise you as a parent, that was not easy. That was not something he said, all right, I've been waiting for this day. This is what's going to happen, family. One less mouth at the table, mama. But I promise you it hurt. It was pain deep down inside of him. 
but God paid him back for his obedience. He stopped his hand and provided an alternate. Says, listen, here you go. God provided an alternate for us. Each and every one of us would die a wrinkled, filthy, rank sinner if God hadn't stopped the hand of life and saying, I'm just going to wipe you off the face of the earth. But he says, hey, wait, wait, wait. There's a place I want you to go visit called Calvary. There's the substitute. There's the one who took everything upon him. Now, as saints of God, we can say, well, Brother Goff, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm good. I, I acknowledge Calvary, and I understand what it did for me. Husband and wives, people dating, people that are interested in somebody else, you write letters. And my wife and I, we have a shoebox full of all the letters that we wrote to each other. I believe she's printed off all of our emails and has them all put away in a place. And then we go back, and you may read some of those, and we'll read the words, and I'll be, hey, I remember, I remember writing this, I remember what happened, and that was so funny, and go through and reminisce with things, and, and you know what, you know, by the time you're done reading some of that, you know, there's that glimmer, you're like, we're still together, we still love each other, we, this was really meant to be, what we thought would have just been teenage love, and early years of our 20s love, but it, it turned out to where God ordained it, and what a beautiful thing, and we read these letters, and we're like, wow, this was just a piece of history as we read through them. The Word of God is a love letter to each and every one of us, and if you don't revisit it, you'll never fully appreciate what He's done for us. If it's just I've read it once, I don't have to read it again. I've accepted him once. I don't have to accept him again. I don't have to die again because I spoke in tongues once. Why don't you walk back down memory lane and allow God to say, Hey, remember this? So, remember this trial? I just stepped in at the last minute. When you thought all hope was gone, and I stepped in, what you thought was just in time, it was the perfect will of God, His time. And until we look back at those times, it's just, oh, Calvary, it's just about the cross. And we never really appreciate what God has done for us. Your testimony begins to dull, and it's not polished, and, and it, it's just something that sits on the shelf. But why don't you go back one more time and revisit your testimony? Revisit the time you bowed down on your knees and said, God, forgive me and fill me with the Holy Ghost. Revisit the time when you came up out of the water after someone had said in the name of Jesus and you were baptized. Revisit that time when you felt so clean and pure. It's not just a one-time event. God wants you to feel like that all the time. All the time. The message of the cross seems as foolishness to those who reject the deity of Jesus Christ. We find in 1 John 4, in verse 7 it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Is this, in this was manifestation the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son, into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved up, 
Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love to say the Scriptures, God is love. But what I like at the very last part of verse 10, you know, it's just a big $100 word. And I love simple things. So we'll, we'll make it simple. God is, in His sacrifice and in Calvary, is like a sponge. In a world of sin consumed with things that were filthy and wretched, it was as if God went down into a bottle of water or a container and a cup of bowl and laid himself in there and absorbed everything in the bowl and pulled himself out. He left it clean and pure, all the impurities. We today have so many commercial uh, devices that remove pure impurities in water and in the air and, and they, they clean things and remove allergies and and all the pollen and remove everything and run through charcoal filters and reverse osmosis and, and they say we can get it down to so 99.9 but nothing that we can make is 100%. But when God says I absorbed all the sins of the world I promise you there wasn't one just hanging on by the edge. It wasn't just your sin you wrestle with that he missed. It wasn't just the one that bothers you weekly that you say, God, I just can't get over. It wasn't that one that he missed. He paid it all. And until you lean on the cross and say, God, change this in me and give me the strength, you're always going to wrestle with it. It's not his fault. It's our fault for not leaning on his everlasting arms. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Don't ever underestimate the cross. In an age where entertainment and sensationalism and carnal enthusiasm are popular approaches to preaching, let us remember our spiritual obligation to preach, teach, and live the power of the cross. People want to say, I want to have... Lights flashing and PowerPoints going and everything and, and just focus on me with a spotlight. And, and they want a sensationalized church. But I promise you, the Word of God is good enough on its own. It stands within itself. Jesus said you will know, and that means to know and obey the truth. And the truth will make you free as we find in John 8. Too many preachers think that we should teach for pure knowledge or acquisition of facts. But until you know the truth, you will never be free. Jeremiah 9 and 23 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but him that glorifieth glory in this. If you're going to glory, if you're going to just bust out the glory wand and say, This is me. This is what you're going to do. But let him glory, glory, glorieth, glory in this, that he understand and knoweth me, that I am the Lord that exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. And all these things I delight, saith the Lord. If you're going to do anything in life, if something's going to change, and if you're going to say, listen, I... I've got this much money, and I have this job, and I have this house, and, and this is my qualities, and this is my ability. God's saying, wash that all away. Listen, that, that don't matter. But if you're going to glory, bring me up. If you're going to glory, why don't you talk about me? 
I've seen this picture, and it was interesting. A friend of ours, her, her, wife, her husband was um, deployed in military. They had a picture of her husband sitting there, a real large picture, sitting there in the house. And she walked in one day, and she seen the, the picture sitting there, and their daughter was leaning against the picture of the daddy. He'd been deployed for months on end over in Iraq. And the baby was sitting there just leaning against the picture of her daddy. You could tell, and she snapped the picture, and you could see that she missed it. Another friend of ours had their father deployed, and he had been gone for quite some time, and Mama was talking to her son, and, and the boy says, and he was as he was away, she says, Mama, I wish Daddy would come out of that picture right now. I promise you, I promise you, there are people in your job, there are people in your family that wish that God would come out of you each and every day. That they would walk in and they would see Him and not yourself, not your attitude, not just our flesh. But they walk in knowing their weekend was just from the pit of hell. The family is going through each and every struggle it can go through. Things aren't right. They're having to resign positions and people are quitting jobs saying, I can't handle the pressure and the stress. and I just got to get away from it all. All they're asking is for Christ to come out of you each and every day. We need to keep preaching Jesus until he comes out of the frame and becomes a reality in each and every one of our testimonies. It's not us, but God needs to come out. We find that the problem when that begins to show is Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not him that hinders, but it's us. We must reflect him. I think that one must consider several unique perspectives of Calvary in order to get a full view of the divine work of God. From God's perspective, Calvary had always been a finished work. It wasn't something that, well, I think this was plan B, but God says, listen, this is going to happen. There's going to be a place of Calvary. And it was prophesied in Scripture after Scripture, this is what's going to happen. I promise you, if you read through and say, oh, it's never going to happen, the Word of God will happen. We look back through our life and we think, we think of it, we heard it preached and we read about of Jesus is coming back. If it's in the Word of God, it's going to happen. It was prophesied, it's going to happen. If it was prophesied that Jesus was going to be born and it happened, I promise you, He is coming back. From man's perspective, it was the unfolding of drama of the work of God, the past, the present, the future, of all their grand events. It all come together of Calvary. Everything that we can do in the future, everything we can do in the present, everything that's happened in the past was wrapped up and consolidated down to Calvary, addressed it, took care of it, and it no longer exists. Wrapped up sin in itself. Therefore, the cross is and always has been a done deal. It was prophetic. Christ through history is still contemporary because he is still Calvary. Calvary is an ever-flowing power. It's not something that steps aside and says it's too old to be touched. It's, it's too fragile to be accessible. You can't touch it, but you've got to have the white gloves on. You've got to use a little tweezers. But I promise you, God still applies to each and every one of us today. It's an event before its time and of its time and without time. 
nothing can exceed it. There is no software revision that updates and you can't walk in and say, well, I'm, I'm only praying to God 1.0, but 2.0 is out. I promise you, God is relevant in each and every one of your situations. You can apply in with that without just disregard, just say, you know, the, the uh, directions on the Bible says I just trust in Him, all right? I'm going to trust in Him. Here we go. I'm not going to say, oh, well, I just got to put a little dab on here and I can only take so much of God. He's telling us to immerse ourselves in Him. Without caution, without inhibition, and saying, God, that's too much. I'm feeling too good. My sins are too far away from me. But I promise you, God says, just step right on in the waters just right. I want you to absorb me and be washed in me and cleansed. He wants us to be just like him. Why didn't God come immediately after the fall of Adam? The question has been asked. Many times, we just got a couple of sinners. And why didn't you, God, just come in and wipe us clean, start over, but instead you let people get filthy and rotten, and then you flooded the earth, and you preserved a handful of people, and then we're back to the same position. Why didn't God just, when he had a fresh, clean slate, when he could have just dropped it after Adam and Eve, and just plowed forward and had a fresh field to plant, but God had a plan. We found it. Calvary sat there in the middle. And he says, listen, I'm going to take each and every one of your sins, and I want you to come back to me all the time. I want you to replenish yourself all the time. God has his plan. Galatians 4 and 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive, receive the adoption of sons. In the fullness of time. A time when all prophecies would center on him, and then we could be with no doubt that their fulfillment had come. I promise you, whenever Jesus was born, they knew this was the Messiah. This was what was prophesied about. This was what was supposed to happen from years and years ago, where it was talked about, where our prophet Isaiah said these words. I promise you, they sit there and says, he's true to his word. He is true to his word. Fullness of time after the passage of thousands of years in order to prove to man that man could never redeem himself. All such attempts miserably, miserably failed. Men without God and without hope thought they could do their own things and build their own devices. But I promise you, God stepped in on the scene and says, listen, it's real simple. Trust in me. Trust in me. Obey me. Just obey the word of God. It's real simple. I don't have to build a tower that would go into the heavens. I was reading an article the other day. It was talking about the mass amount of wealth that Apple Corporation has. They said that you could lay, I believe it was $1 bills, and it would circle the earth many times, end to end. You could stack money, and it would go up over 30,000 feet and be into where it would be in the area where airplanes would be flying. And, and we look up and we're like, wow, that's so much money. One of the most profitable companies in the world. But nothing they can do, nothing they can build, nothing they can design can address just one of my sins. Nothing that they can say, well, we're going to release this, and this is a fix for this, and this is just magical. It just happens, but I promise you, uh, God had that taken care of long before anybody else could design it and say this is the way it needs to be. Each and every time man starts to excel, it falls on his face. 
God has a way of humbling this world. You look at the 1920s, by 1929, the stock market fell underneath it and in just mass amounts of money went away. You look at 1990s, look back at a time where never stock was just booming and they're saying, how can this continue to support itself? And the tech stocks are just are running on soft money. It's not real money. And people are throwing their investments after uh, millions of dollars on top of these companies. And, and you have people such as Alan Greenspan sitting there saying, listen, it won't last. But history says he even succumbed to it and says, listen, we're going to drop interest rates and we're going, to, we're going to adjust the economy this way. But you know what? It collapsed. It fell. Men think they have it all analyzed and everything's under control. And we can give you this book and this is what you read and this is how you're going to be successful. But I promise you, God, God's the only one that can do that. God's the only one that His perfect will for my life is successful. If I can follow after His will, He'll order my steps. The story that Brother Featherstone, we have heard it, Brother Featherstone tells, he used to live on Prince Edward Island, and my wife and I are friends with several of their friends and several of his church members. They're now down in Texas, in the southern part of Texas, and great people. And Brother Featherstone tells a story where he was on Prince Edward Island, went up there, and had a, a minister friend come and visit them. They went over to Anna Green Gables and was walking through. It's just a, a national park for them, a provincial park. And uh, my family was able to go there last year and walk around. And so I seen what he was talking about. And, and as we're walking around, he said that minister friend reached out and grabbed his pocket knife and carved his wife and their initials in the tree and put a little heart around it. And as my family was walking uh, through the, the park last year, we walked past tree after tree where couples had went there and Brother Brandon and carved their initials and put forever and always in love and put their initials up there. And it was interesting to walk through a forest. And, and it really, it's just a story. Nothing ever happened there. But they created this place to where people can read the story and go there and visit. And it just becomes a part of putting it all together. And so Brother Featherstone was traveling through Ohio. He had to stop in to get some work done. Stopped into a local business for a lady that he knew, and her husband had passed away some time before. And as he walked in, he began to tell her, she says, what have you been doing? And so he uh, said, well, we've been up there visiting. I've been up on Prince Edward Island, and family came up. And he began to tell her the story about the minister friend who carved their initials in the tree. And she says, well, that's, that's interesting. My, my husband done the same thing. She said, you know, my husband, we got married later in life, and she goes, we really didn't know each other. And we began to get introduced to each other and begin to date. And as time went on, he says, you know what, I, I love you. And they uh, got married eventually. And, and as they were talking through later in their life in their marriage, he says, you know, there's one thing I have never told you is I loved you long before we even knew each other. She says, oh, no, you didn't. We didn't even know each other. How, how could you be so in love with me? He goes, well, come on, let's jump in the truck. So they drove down to the city park, and he walked up to a tree, and there were their initials carved in the tree. He says, I've done this before we were introduced, before we were dating, before we said I do, before we were married. I loved you long before. His brother Featherstone tells a story so beautiful, talking about the love that happens long before we can even acknowledge it. A scripture in closing, if the musicians would come, 
comes to mind, it's Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even bear to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To me, this sheds the great light on Calvary. Before I knew him, he went to a tree and he grabbed my initials and he said, D-K-G. And he poured his blood over them and he sacrificed himself on that old rugged cross. And it became more than just a piece of timber nailed together. But it came a place where I can go back to and say, God, can I just reach up and touch where you carved me in that cross? Where you put my name there and says, this blood was shed for Douglas. This blood was shed for each and every one of us. Before I knew him, he loved me enough to suffer, bleed, and die. Before I could even say, God, forgive me of my sins. He had already done everything that needed to happen in my life long before. We owe it to ourselves, saints of God, to go back to a cross and say, God, show me again. Allow my hand to trace where you carved the initials in this whole rugged tree. Where you put me at this place where you said, oh, you know what? This applies to everybody. No one can deny this fact because... Your name's here. Nothing is more valuable than having your sins washed away by the blood of God. Nothing can replace that thing in your life where you look back and you say, Well, I repented. It wasn't much. It didn't mean much. I really didn't feel a whole weight of of sin go off of me, but I promise you something happened. Remember as a child, as we stand Remember seeing a lady that grew up on the streets? It was just disheartening to see her walk in and sit on a pew. She fought through the sin and the addictions and the drugs and the abuse and everything that happened in her life. It was just weary and ragged, and, and you could see on her face life was just beating her up and just the deep wrinkles and, and the harshness of life, even though she was a young lady. But I remember the day that I watched her go down to an altar for the time that God met her there. And she finally just gave it all up, cast aside all the sin and said, Listen, I'm so tired of this that I'm going to give up everything. And when I step away, I want to walk in your will, God. When she turned around and God had filled her with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, I promise you there's nothing Photoshop, any computer program, or any makeup could do. But the gleam, the beauty of the Holy Ghost was shining on that young lady. And years had been washed away off her face. Wrinkles that had been there ever since I've known her were gone. There's a smile. And she was saying, this is so beautiful. So beautiful. The shine of the Holy Ghost, the radiance of saying... He took away all of my sins. Somebody found a place called Calvary. Somebody found a place with meaning. Somebody found a place that they're going to go back to time and time again. God will never give up on you. 
Can we come in and pray for just a little bit and talk to God and find a place and renew ourselves as they sing today and ask God, show me where you brought me from, God. Show me the place. Allow me to get to the place in my life, God, where you walk out of me and that's what everyone sees. They see you. They see where you shed your blood and how good and gracious you are. Hallelujah, hallelujah.